Welcome, everyone, to Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I am your host, Teresa Signorelli, and we are bringing you information about the five areas of child development. And by that, we mean physical, intellectual, social, emotional, emotional, and moral, so parents can empower their children to thrive. And we have a Brains in Toyland segment today, and we are calling it Language Development, Birth to Six Months, Building Skills, Relationships, and More. And our guest is Melanie Feller, and Melanie is an ASHA-certified speech-language pathologist. She is also an ICDL-certified DIR floor-time practitioner. I'll tell you what that is. So ICDL is the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning. And um, DIR stands for Developmental Individual Difference Relationship-Based. And it is, and we'll have Melanie actually talk about this a little bit um, and it's um, it's a way of interacting and playing with children to help them develop. And floor time um, was one of the other aspects of her certification I mentioned, and that's really a way of practicing um, that DIR, that developmental individual difference relationship-based um, play. And um, what else can I tell you about Melanie? She is a developmentally-based speech-language pathologist, and she specializes in infants and children ages zero or at birth to five uh, years, and she works in an urban school district in New Jersey, and she's also the owner of a private practice called Alphabet Soup Speech Consultants, and it's the only practice in New Jersey that uh, offers therapy solely through the DIR floor time model, and um, also she is the director of continuing education for the council I had mentioned, that is the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, which is the parent organization to the DIR floor time um, approach. And she's also a member of their advocacy committee. And um, Melanie was actually on our show back in October talking about play skill development, and we talked a lot about uh, floor time and the approach um, that this organization uses. And if you want to go back to that episode, it's called, um, what is it called? Let's see. Floor Time Play, Fostering Intellectual, Motor, and Emotional Development. And you can actually find that episode on the description for this show. I have the link right there if that's easy. And you can download that and listen to it anytime. So having given you a little bit of background on Melanie Feller, we're going to welcome her right now. So welcome, Melanie. Are you there? I am, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so pleased to be on your show. Okay, it's so great to have you back. Um, I learned so much. Again, I'm also a speech-language pathologist, but there's lots of different ways um, you can practice as a speech-language pathologist. And so learning from you more and more about play was really great, especially the DIR floor time model. So, But today we're going to talk about language development. Um, and a lot of um, you and I were talking a little earlier about um, this age range birth to six months, and a lot of people are surprised at how much kind of goes on um, during this uh, during this age span. So we always like to start off with asking our professional guests, our experts, that is, what they wish parents knew. So on this basic topic, what is it that you wish parents knew more about? I think the most important thing for me is that I really wish parents knew the importance of, of the relationship in early infancy and the importance of truly being there with your baby and interacting 
and what that interaction means, so how that in turn affects um, all areas of human development, language and learning, um, and the ability to, to truly engage, engage with someone else. So it's not just about feeding and, and caring for your baby, but are you really there with your baby and, and truly interacting with them on a daily basis? Okay, okay. So really understanding how important that interaction and relationship is, um, really out of the gate. So, um, exactly. yeah, so what can we, let's talk about what we could expect from babies um, in terms of their language development in, in the first six months. And you know what, I'm, I'm also thinking maybe we should explain to parents what, is, what language is. You wanna, can you maybe tell the audience what language is and then what, what we could expect in those first six months? Absolutely. So language is, is our way of communicating um, with someone else. In, in, for instance, it's usually nonverbal, so they're not using sounds necessarily, but they may be um, moving their limbs or they may be looking at us or they may be starting to use those gurgles or coos or sounds, and that, that is their language. Um, and so we can we can talk about that further as as we continue our discussion. But we want to remember that their language, even though it's not real words as you and I would use, is still intentional and is still an act of communication. Um, so from right, there and I to think remote, Melanie, if I could if I could jump in for a second, I think the key please. thing you said that is important for the audience to think about is nonverbal. Not all language is just spoken ver- words. It's that it could be nonverbal, like moving hands and arms, all these different kinds of gestures. So perfect. Great. Thanks so much. So um, from about zero to three months, we're going to start seeing a differentiation of a baby's cries. Instead of just one type of cry, we'll start to see different kinds of cries, like the hungry cry and the tired cry. Um, we'll start to see some cooing and some cute little sounds. Um, but generally the sounds are kind of the same tone and the same pitch. And then from three to six months, we'll start to see some gurgling um, both by themselves when they're just maybe looking at their mobiles or they're looking at a mirror, and when they're with the caregiver, be that mom or dad or whoever the caregiver is. As they approach six months, we might also start to see some babbling of consonants, probably more... um, M and B and P, those are the easiest consonants to say, so they'll usually start out with those first. And we'll see some laughter and we'll see a lot of vocalizing for excitement and displeasure. So you'll hear their really happy sounds when they're happy and you'll hear their really unhappy sounds when they're unhappy. (laughs) Great. Um, So anything else in that first six months? Well, um, I think that's about all you'll see in terms of language development, but we want to think about um, from a, a speech therapist, I'm a speech therapist, and from a speech therapy perspective, we have the pre-intentional stage, which is essentially where the intention is inferred by the communication partner. So again, the, the mom or the dad is inferring by what the baby is doing that they're trying to communicate, and they're responding as though everything the baby is doing is intentional, and that's to start. And then from about three to six months, we see more pre-linguistic happening. We see gestures, we see vocalizations, and the baby is becoming more intentional in their communication. So certainly a lot is happening in that zero to six months, even though they're still very tiny little people. Okay, so essentially at, at first parents are inferring or kind of guessing what they think their child may mean, and then eventually um, it becomes more obvious? Exactly. Okay. So um, how about perhaps talking about that relationship between that parent or that caregiver? Um, 
and the baby, and how does that affect language development? So the relationship provides the basis for the language development. When the mom and the baby, and and I'm using mom here loosely, it can be dad, it can be caregiver, whoever is really first and foremost in the baby's lives, and that can be multiple people. Um, That person really has kind tones that are aimed at their baby's needs. They're, They're modulating their voice as they need to. So, for example, if the baby's excited, they're excited. If the baby's upset, they might be more soothing. Um, But from that relationship, that loving, warm relationship, the baby is starting to understand um, that language equals warmth and equals love and nurturing. And they're they're starting to see how when mommy says, I love you, she's smiling and she has a a really warm intent about her and baby's understanding that. So that, that warm relationship is creating the foundation for the language development. Great. And so how about, how do we use um, our own affect and our own emotions to support how a baby language develops? So we want to think about um, how we can use affect as the experience of emotion. And so we want to think about how we can use that to support our baby's language development um, in terms of, let's say the baby's really upset. So the baby's we call that dysregulated. So the baby's upset, they're not regulated. It's going to be really hard for them to communicate what they need. They'll just be crying, they'll be they'll be upset. Um, so if mom comes in and soothes them and makes them feel better, um, then she's using that, that kind and caring emotion to make the baby feel better. She's saying loving words. And the baby's understanding that, those, again, just as I had said before, those words mean something. Um, so even if the baby doesn't quite understand, they get the gist of what's happening and they can see the power of words and how m- m- the intentionality of the words is really is really affecting them, if that makes sense. Say, mom is saying, I love you, you know, you don't need to cry, and baby is starting to understand that that means something as mom is rocking her. So she's matching the, the language to the physical actions. Okay. And so you'd mentioned dysregulated. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what regulation is and maybe engagement of that infant in play as part of their language development. Absolutely. Uh, the baby, we want to think about the baby needing to be really regulated before communication can happen. And by regulated, I mean the baby needs to be calm, the baby needs to be alert, the baby needs to be oriented to their surroundings. It's very hard for the baby to do anything if they're dysregulated, meaning that they're they're wet or they're hungry or they're uncomfortable. So the more the more upset the baby gets, the harder it's going to be for them to find a calm within them and be able to be engaged and then to be able to have those communication skills. So we really want to consider that um when we look at, at what we're what we're expecting from our babies. Are we are they comfortable and are they calm before anything that's really the most important piece yeah. to be able to have the next steps of development. And that's what's so important here, too, as you say this, what really resonates with me is um, the concept of social-emotional learning, and it's it's something mm-hmm. we've done a show on, um, we've done a panel here um, on Kids A to Z in the past, and to learn, just in general, you need to be calm, you need to be alert, you need to be oriented. So it is, it makes sense that from out of the gate, <laughs> from birth up, in order to learn, too, you need to be calm, alert, and oriented. So it just kind of hits home, I think, how important good regulation is. Um, so anything That's else to add on that topic? I think i just like to add that we want to also remember to look at um, the baby's overall attention to what we're doing and the baby's gaze. So I see a lot of times 
parents will say to me, well, the baby's not looking at me, so she's clearly not interested in what I'm doing. But a lot of times, again, if the baby is unhappy or, or uncomfortable, perhaps the parent's voice is too loud or there's too many lights, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it can be difficult for the baby to find that sort of orientation towards the parent as they're speaking. <clears throat> I'm sorry. So we want to consider that the baby needs to be, how, how do we get the baby to look at us? How do we how do we meet the baby where they are and help their overall attention? So maybe if the baby isn't looking at us when we have our voices raised, can we change our voice to make them to make it more appealing? Can we do something different to make what we're doing more appealing? So essentially, shifting our affect to match what the baby needs. So, if, uh, changing our um, composure and our emotions to meet their needs. And um, what I like about the statements you just made, it kind of leads into the next question about um, the impact of technology. And you had mentioned. Um, you know, maybe the baby's gaze is someplace else and not on the parent and to look in the environment and see what kind of noise is going on, are we too loud? And a lot of times we have radios playing or televisions on that creates a lot of background noise and it interferes with the baby's ability or anybody's ability really to focus on any given stimulus or any given um, sound that you want to listen to, like mommy's voice or daddy's voice, Um so I'm glad that you mentioned that, um, that having the parent look at the situation and how can they fix it maybe. Um, and so that leads us into uh, the impact um, of technology on language development in infants. So all these wonderful gadgets, I always say that technology really is a mixed blessing when it comes to children and development. So um, iPads and televisions and smartphones, they truly are wonderful. But what can you talk to us about that a little bit? I think I agree. I think technology is really great. I think there's lots of opportunities, especially for older kids, to really have great, great learning experiences on technology. Um, I am a firm believer in zero technology for young children. I know a lot of parents are probably listening and and their eyes are getting wider as they're saying, what do you mean I can't give my my young child an iPad while while we're in the doctor's office? And I'm certainly, I'm not saying that, but I think that especially for children under three, and in this case especially infants, the impact of technology is is not positive. When we look at technology, we want to look at what it's creating in our children. Um, And a lot of times, and actually there there have been a number of studies I've read that have recently been done on this. There were, I believe there was an article in the Times about this recently. Um, But we want to look at how technology is affecting eye contact. Children are having more and more difficulty making eye contact with an adult or with another individual because they're so used to looking at the screen. Um, The screen can affect their attention skills because everything is changing so rapidly. They might have great difficulty really focusing on something so long. So in other words, I didn't say that clearly. Let me go back. If a game is changing um, the way it looks, for example, every, I don't know, however many seconds, it's going to be much harder for the child to understand that things in real life don't change that quickly and everything is not what you see on the iPad in terms of how long um, an activity will go on for. Um, technology can also affect social engagement. It's difficult for a child to have that really good back and forth one-on-one with another individual. So are just used to staring at a screen. And it also affects regulation. When a child is looking at a screen for a prolonged period, it can affect the way they are able to regulate their bodies. Um, there have been some studies done on looking at screens and how that affects internal regulation. So I think overall it's just not, it's not necessary to give technology to a child 
so young. You really want to be there as a caregiver, as a parent, and really be interacting with them. And if you can't be there, not every mom and dad can be there, then the caregiver, the nanny, the daycare provider, whoever it is. But we really want the kids to be interacting with adults and other children and not with technology. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. It's um, <clears throat> Excuse me, I've seen some apparatuses created um, where you could fit an iPad so it hooks on to a bouncy seat or to a um, um, some kind of baby seat, and I was horrified. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was truly horrified. Um, I, yeah, I do not think young children should be exposed. And um, Right, I think they need to be di- have dynamic interactions, real life, real world, uh, multi-sensory interactions with movement and feeling, um, right, because it is affecting how they develop. And uh, the way I look at it, too, you wouldn't give a young child alcohol because their bodies can't process it <laughs> and they, they're not able to handle it. I kind of feel the same way about these wonderful technologies that I don't think are wonderful for um, for young children. Um, and that's an enormous topic that I'd love to um, I'd actually love to really have a nice panel discussion about that and bring different kinds of experts. Um, but um, it's really too big for today's topic, but I'm really glad um, that we talked about at least mentioning it today and we could always follow up more. And parents, if you ever have questions about technology or whatever it is, um, actually parents or related professionals, we have a lot of related professionals who listen into the show, please always feel free to email us at info at kidsa-z.com. That's info at kidsa-z.com. And having said that, let's, let's jump on maybe to our next question and talk about, uh, Melanie, perhaps what things um, are out there that could be detrimental to language development in infants? What might preclude a child from developing well, and how could we avoid them? So one of the things, again, like we just talked about, is too much technology. We really want to try to avoid technology as much as we can for young children. Another thing would be to, if you're not looking at your baby when you're interacting with them, for example, if you're just kind of going through the motions um, with feeding or changing or putting them to sleep, you really want to be looking at your baby. A lot of times I see parents kind of addressing the baby but not making eye contact, and that can be rather detrimental for the baby to understand that they need to make eye contact with another individual in order to have appropriate social-emotional back-and-forth engagements as they get older. Another challenge, um, something else that's detrimental, is not attending to the baby when they call you. And I know that there's lots of different ways of thinking on this, but from my perspective, if a baby is calling out for you, um, crying or otherwise, I think it's important to be responsive. And I'm not saying you need to run immediately um, or you need to wait an hour, but I think there needs to be some sort of middle ground where you are responsive when your baby calls you because they need to understand that someone is there for them and there's a safe place um, where they can feel feel loved and accepted and they know someone kind of has their back, so to speak. It, it certainly impacts communication if the baby feels like no one is responsive to their needs. Um, right. Another, another uh, something else that's... I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. 
Um, just one, let's see, uh, one more thing um, that I was thinking is, as I had touched on briefly before about giving up on an interact, so not interacting with your baby if you sort of just go through the motions of, of feeding for them and caring for them, but not necessarily doing that nice, sweet back and forth, tickling, looking at each other, et cetera. And related to that, giving up on an interaction because your baby doesn't seem to be interacting back. So that can be extremely detrimental because it sort of feeds off of itself. So the baby doesn't respond, you don't respond, and then the baby just gives up because you've given up. And it's kind of, it's very it's a very challenging situation for parents and for infants. Um, that, that can be very detrimental to language development. Right. As, as you're talking, some of the things that resonate with me, it sounds um, a lot of what you're saying is that parents are there to model for their children. Um, so model that turn-taking behavior, I say something, you say something, or I do something, you do something, and that affects using language um, and could affect their ability to share and take turns and be patient and wait down the road. Um, and one of the things you mentioned, too, um, you had mentioned feeding and how it's not just about feeding your child. One of the things I've learned about feeding development with children is um, – being there to model for your child that you're not just feeding them, but having them see you eat and drink, um, that that provides a nice model for them from which they can build. So language is, as you had mentioned earlier, to communicate. We want to communicate ideas and our wants and our needs, uh, and being able to model and be interact with with them is super important for that. So um, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit now about um, what kinds of things parents can do, uh, tips you might have, techniques that parents could possibly use um, to support language development in these really little, really young children, these infants, these um, uh, babies, birth to six months, what can we do? Well, a really important thing is just to talk with your baby. Even though your baby isn't necessarily talking back to you with, hi, mommy, you know, I really like what we did today, um, talk with your baby, narrate your day, talk about what's going on. If you're changing your baby, if you're feeding them, you might want to narrate that. Oh, I'm getting the sweet potatoes. Here they come. Oh, we're going to put them on the spoon. And you can talk talk to them about what's going on. Um, you can You can have... Cute, those cute sort of verbal back and forth games, um, you know, I'm going to get you, or here comes here comes tickles, or here comes the spider, or whatever kinds of cutesy games. But talk with the baby as much as you can. Really bring language into the relationship, even if they're not that responsive, even if they just look at you and smile. That that's all you need. You just need them to be attentive to you and to really start that kind of back and forth. Just as you said, that turn taking. Right. And what about the complexity of the language that you're using with your children at this age range? What would you say about that? I think it varies on the, on the individual, and, and there are different schools of thought on this. For me, I think it's important to keep language simple and really easy to understand. So I wouldn't be talking with the baby about, I don't know, um, you know, some sort of news newsworthy situation, but I think talking to them about what you're going to eat in a really simplistic manner um, with maybe a little bit higher pitch, as, as I find a lot of parents tend to do, is very appealing to the baby. On the other hand, maybe just speaking in a normal voice is appealing to the baby. But I like from zero to six months to keep language simple, um, not where we're using just single words, we're using full sentences, but we're keeping it the, the content of our sentences really simple and, and to the point. Okay, great. Um what can um 
So anything else to add for that? Um, I think related to that, I think um, we've touched on a lot of that, of, of the suggestions I had in terms of really try to engage when they call your, when the baby calls for your attention, really try to look at your baby. And I think the most important thing is to really try to take everything a baby does as intentional. So if they're gurgling um, and you just did something, oh, wow, and, and you can make a big fuss over that. If you, you notice a connection between their noise or their cry and something you've done or something that's happened, you really want to further that and support that so they start to understand the relationship between language and and action um, and, and that sort of cause and effect kind of thing kind of thing that happens. Right. So we're actually coming toward the close of the show where we talk about five fantastic facts for families, and those are just nice takeaways we give. But actually, before we do that, um, we didn't mention that we talk about this, but I think we could probably both handle the question. What should parents do if they suspect a problem, if they feel that their baby's language skills, communication skills are not building as they should? What what could and should a parent do? I think that's a great question. It's important if, if the parent has any concerns, it's important to go, I would say, speak to your pediatrician first, although I will say that a lot of, I have seen a lot of pediatricians not referring for speech therapy or for speech evaluation as quickly as I would like to see. So if you go to your pediatrician and they say, oh, it's okay, you just need to wait and things will improve, this is typical, if you as a parent feel that that's not accurate, if you feel like there is a concern, be it a big concern, a small concern, whatever it is, if you feel like your baby is not acting the way they should be or communicating in the way they should be, it is never too early to get a speech and language evaluation. And frequently, therapy might not be necessary. Maybe the speech therapist will give you tips, suggestions that you can take home. Maybe you'll come for consultations. You don't necessarily need weekly therapy, but it's really important to start intervention if you need intervention as soon as possible. It is never, ever too early. I've worked with newborns, so it's it's important to address your concerns as soon as possible. Yeah, I, I cannot underscore how important everything you just said is. Pediatricians are an amazing and wonderful resource, and they're on the front line of meeting with parents, obviously. Um, but a big part of why we started this show was because of a lot of misinformation um, out there by related child <coughs> development professionals. And that's why we advocate here that if you have concerns, that you go to the person who's the expert in that area. So in this case, in communication, speech, language, and feeding development, that would be a speech-language pathologist. If it's a motor issue and a gross motor issue, so those big muscle movements, it would be a physical therapist, an occupational therapist if it's those fine motor movements or if there are sensory issues like movement or too much light or too much sound upsets your child, that's something. And if it's more of a social-emotional issue, that the child psychologists are really the experts there. Um, so like you said, um, at least I believe you said this, Melanie, what I often advocate parents do as well is that in your gut, if something's telling you that my child is not developing as they should, look at their peers. Are they doing the same things? Are they grossly on par? Are they grossly on the same level? Regardless of what very well-intended, related professionals, parents, friends, etc., listen to your gut and um, go to the expert in that area and find out because Sooner is so much better than later. You can prevent problems if there is a problem. 
you can make them less um, problematic if they are there. And it could be that you don't need anything, but maybe some extra information to help them along their way. But that is so true. That is so true. So um, thank you for that. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, So how about we jump into then our final set of, um, I guess, questions. And it's asking our guests what their five fantastic facts for families are. And so um, I guess these are the big takeaways our professionals love, um, the, the, the good advice that they love to give. So, Melanie, what are yours? So my five fantastic facts, I love that name, by the way. That's a great name. Um, five fantastic facts for families. Um, number one is to really follow your baby's lead. We talked about this, um, but what, what your baby's doing, you want to try to mimic. And I, actually, I guess we didn't touch on this as much as I as I could have, but the important thing is to, to match your baby. So if your baby's doing something, follow along with them, whatever that is. If they're cooing, coo with them. If they're gurgling, gurgle with them. You can, you can really, it's important to follow what they're doing and, again, treat what they're doing as intentional. Um, encourage them to follow your lead as well. So if you want to make silly faces, maybe they want to make silly faces with you as well um, or whatever it is you're doing, but encourage them to follow along with you. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I, I have some allergies and my voice is going. Um, you want to match their affect, as we had talked about, and you really want to talk with them. And above all, zero screen time for young children. I think that that's critical. And those are my five fantastic facts. Okay. And could you just jump back to matching their affect and what you mean by that? Absolutely. So matching their affect. So if they're if they're really happy, you can be happy along with them. If they're sad, then you might want to lower your voice a little bit, have some soothing tones, and try to get them where they're more comfortable again. So if they're really sad, for example, you don't want to be, oh, it's great, very happy and high-pitched, because that, that might not necessarily get them out of where they are. It could work. But a lot of times I find, and a lot of professionals find, that when you match where the baby is, um, for example, if they're angry, you might say, oh, I understand you're angry, and you might lower your voice a little bit and speak in an understanding sort of way. And that can be very helpful for the baby because they, they see that you're understanding how they're feeling, um, and it will help the baby become more regulated and in turn enable them to self-regulate a bit better. Those are super. And so just to recap, so that's um, one, follow your baby's lead. Um, sorry, my phone is going off. That's... I don't know how to turn off my new phone. So, again, <laughs> the, <clears throat> those five facts are follow your baby's lead, encourage them to follow yours. Number three is to match their affect or how they're feeling. Number four, talk with them. And number five, which could be my favorite, no screen time, zero screen time, um, as much as possible. <laughs> um, sometimes in emergencies I say, for safety or if mom needs to use the restroom or, or something. Uh, I I do, I, I understand it in our, um, in our present day culture, but really essentially zero screen time. That's, um, that's my feeling too. So everyone, that is our show for today. I really want to thank Melanie Feller for lending her time and her talent, all of her expertise. And I wanted to remind everyone that on the description for today's show, I have a link to Melanie's website, which is Alphabet Alphabet Soup Speech Consultants. Um, And I also have the link to my prior show with Melanie there, so you can access it there. And as I would mentioned earlier, anytime you want to reach out to us with questions, with suggestions for show topics, 
please send us an email at info at kidsa-to-z.com. That's info at kidsa-to-z.com. You can also follow us on the, the Blog Talk Radio page. You can follow us on Facebook, um, and that is Kids A to Z with Dr. T, our Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at Dr. Teresa. And so we always invite you again to contact us, listen to the show, and that is really it for today. Again, I'm Teresa Seniorelli, your host, and we hope you guys all have a great day.